The second lesson this morning, excuse me, comes from the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I want to start off this morning by asking a question and by um, assuring you that this is not a test, uh, but I want to start with a question. And the question is, I want you to think about what it feels like to talk about God. I want you to think about what it feels like to talk about God. And I want you to think about who you talk about God with, okay? I want you to think about who you talk about God with. Do you talk about God with your spouse or your partner or maybe your close friends? Do you talk about God with your colleagues and your coworkers? Do you talk about God with your children and your parents? Do you maybe talk about God with your medical team? Do you talk about God with your fellow church friends? Who do you talk about God with? And why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Perhaps some of us 
resist the idea of talking about God because it's too personal. We deeply trust the intuitions and the beliefs of other people, the the folks that are around us in our life, and we don't want to threaten or to judge anybody in any way. And so we keep to ourselves. That's one of the reasons why we don't talk about God. One of the other reasons is that we wonder if we're being silly or maybe even ridiculous. Did God really speak to us right before our surgery, we wonder? Or maybe that was just our imaginations. Or perhaps another thing is that we wonder and we worry if talking about God will put us in the crossfire of religious and political dialogue. I know that's one of the difficulties that I struggle with personally. Will we get pigeonholed, we wonder. Or, even worse sometimes, will our talk about God be the last time that anybody really shares anything honestly with us because now we have been known and categorized as somebody who's religious. Folks who live in Seattle know what that feels like, right? Yeah. And perhaps at the end of all of this reflection, we get to this point where we think perhaps even talking about God isn't important at all, and we should just go ahead and do the dishes and forget we even brought it up. Well, this struggle, these questions, we can rest assured are nothing new. Even in this transfiguration text that we have before us today, where Peter and his friends have been weighed down with sleep, and then all of a sudden they see this event that they can't explain, and they see Jesus, but they see him in a way that they haven't seen him yet, And they're struggling to find the words and even the ways to talk about it. And as they try to talk about it, they discover that, in fact, everything begins to unravel. It's good for us to be here, Peter says. Let's make three dwelling places, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And even as Peter says this, Luke, the writer of the gospel, lets us in on the fact that Peter, in fact, doesn't even know what he's saying. So there's this attempt to get this experience out, but even in getting it out, we somehow get it wrong in how it is that we communicate it. And that's exactly the rub, isn't it? Our language begins to fall short Every time we try to talk about God, our actions seem incomplete. We struggle to get the words out. As soon as the words get out of our mouth, all of a sudden, somehow, they only feel like an approximation of what it is that we actually experienced. How can we capture our experience with God? How can we talk about it in a way that other people will actually understand? What I think this text is helping us to understand today and what this text points out is that our talk about God is always secondary to our experience of God. Our talk about God is always penultimate to the experience that we have of God. In our attempt to put actions and reflections 
around what we see, we also always run the risk of minimizing somehow what God is up to and God's actions. And somehow, in our attempt to sort of capture what God is doing, we run the risk of shrinking God's desires and starting to appear as the master of that which we can't control, which is exactly what Peter was up to. Let's create a dwelling place. It's an attempt, but it's still somehow insufficient we get to at the end of this text, right? Doesn't quite do it. It's a reaction to this experience of mystery that fills the voids with answers instead of moving the spirit into a place of worship. It fills the void with answers instead of moving the spirit into a place of worship. Great, we say. I always knew it was too hard to talk about God. Good news. I'm so glad that the Bible and I are on the same page in this particular aspect. Let's move on and never mention it again. Right? That's one of the risks that we run in this conversation, always. Except, except that as humans, we live with mystery. All of us in this room, whether you like it or not, you live with mystery. I live with mystery. We all live with experiences that have meaning that is so deep that we know in the core of our being that someone is speaking to us. And if I asked each of you in this room to go around in a circle and to share an experience where something like that has happened in your life, I am willing to put money on the fact that you would be able to tell me about a time when that has happened to you. We walk under the canopy of stars in the deep of night and we sense that the Spirit is walking alongside of us. We read the gospel and we feel like the words of Jesus are promises that are said right to us from the other side of the pew. We sing and tears stream down our eyes. We lose loved ones and we suffer grief and we cry out for comfort, waiting for a connection that heals us and that holds us fast. We cannot live without talking about God. We can't. We cannot live without knowing God. We cannot live without puzzling together our experience of life and our knowledge and our meaning and our history and our experience of mystery. And when people begin to relay their experiences of God, their stories are as vast as the people that are in this room today. I was driving in the middle of the night, someone says, and I felt that God was in the passenger seat. 
I walked by a tree, another person said, and I heard a voice. A third person, I saw an eagle in the middle of nowhere, and I knew that God was speaking to me. I listened to a voice that spoke to me in the depth of my pain. Another person says, out of nowhere, this person just walked in the room, and I knew that it was the Spirit of God that brought them there. Another person says, I saw a painting, and suddenly I was filled with the experience of peace. Friends, these are just patches of the vast quilt of meaning that I hear as people tell me their stories of God. And guess what? Half of these stories come from people who have never set foot in a church. You see, we all experience God. So how can we not talk about God as humans? How can we not? There's an important move that I want us to notice in our text today. Peter sets up something that is known. He does exactly what he has been trained to do. As a person who has been experienced in the text, Peter wasn't a rabbi, but for sure his faith was important to him, and he had been gathering at synagogues long before he went to follow Jesus when Jesus called him. So Peter knows pieces of the sacred text, and he's doing exactly what the text has asked him to do, or at least what it has talked about in the past, which is that he is setting up three dwellings. You see, that's not new. Peter knows that because he's read about those stories in the Old Testament. He's probably not read them, actually, personally. He's probably heard them read in the context of the synagogue. And he knows that this is something that has happened with Jacob, that this is something that has happened with Abraham, this is something that's happened in other places within the context of the Old Testament where people have set up dwellings to commemorate that in that place God has spoken. So see, Peter is doing just exactly what he saw happen in the past. But unbeknownst to Peter, the history that he is relying on is not what God is up to at the moment. Because what, what God is showing Peter is that I am not limited to what has happened in the past. I will continue to speak for myself in the future. What happens is that when the cloud comes over Peter and James and John, the instruction is not to repeat history. The instruction that comes from the very voice of God is to do something new. Listen to him. God says, listen to him. Listen to him. Do not rely on the comfort of the past. Listen to the person that is in your midst. Listen to Jesus. 
And then, of course, ironically, this ends up in silence. So all that we're doing about helping us to sort of release ourselves to talk about God is ironic because at the end of the text, what do they do? They don't say a word. Rather than talk about the experience, they remain silent until they actually speak about it, which comes later. It comes after the events in Jerusalem. It comes during a time that we actually don't know about when the text is being pieced together. But it comes, and that's how we have our story today. So they don't talk. They let this moment of silence sort of outlast, and they follow the instruction, which is to listen. And then when the time is right, then they do speak. They do share the story. Eventually. Friends, this is one of the reasons why I'm so excited about this confirmation project that we're up to. Confirmation re-experienced. The project formerly known as confirmation might be another way of putting it. Um, This project that we're doing called Exploring Our Faith. Because it will give us a chance to walk through this process. This process that we've just seen unfold through the story of the transfiguration. We'll start this process, and you know what? We'll probably have some really strong ideas. We'll probably want to set up some dwelling places, because that's how we are. We'll want to say, this goes here, and this goes here, and this goes here, and that's how it all works, and that's how we'll get it together. But... Then we'll have the opportunity to hang in there. And we'll have the opportunity to stay long enough to hear a voice that is not our own. A voice that comes from somewhere else. And it might be so strong that it will force us not to speak but to remain silent. But perhaps then... When we speak again, we'll know that we are no longer the same people that started that journey up the mountain. We have been changed. We have listened to him. Let us pray. Lord, we jump to speak and not to listen. But then we lag again in a moment where perhaps we could speak. Help us up this mountain that we might hear you and that we might share a story of how we have been renewed by seeing where you are going now. In your name we pray. Amen. Let us stand.